0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that these important words in uh, Matthew will resonate in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We pray that you may give us wakefulness, attentiveness and uh, the great desire to want to listen to what you are saying today. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I once had a lecturer uh, in a theological college with me. And uh, he used to be my next door neighbor where I lived for a couple of years. I knew him quite well. I knew his uh, wife and family pretty well. They had many kids. In fact, one of their kids actually ended up working in Singapore uh, many years later and he came to Singapore and I took them out, we had a really good time. So I was really sad a few years ago to find out that actually his uh, understanding of the Bible had changed. Uh, His uh, convictions about many of the fundamental truths of the Bible had uh, moved from when I remembered him. And not too long ago, I actually realized that he had actually taken to writing to the newspaper to speak up against uh, a lot of things that uh, I believe the Bible was saying. So okay, I got some slides here. You can you, uh, there, there are a lot of slides today actually, but but so this this is an example of some of the stuff that he was writing to different newspapers in Australia. And as I was reading them, I felt very uh, discouraged and very dismayed that this uh, friend of mine, who used to be a lecturer of mine in theological college, had uh, changed so much in terms of his understanding of the Bible and I think that prompts us to ask the question that I think today's passage is asking which is, uh, whose teaching should we be obeying and whose example should we be following? Because actually this is one of the most important questions that a Christian should be asking themselves because you know if you obey the wrong person's teaching if you follow the wrong person's example then it will actually have eternal consequences in your eternal destiny. So this is a very serious issue that we're dealing with today and I hope that we will give this passage the attention that it deserves. So in verse of verse one of today's passage uh, it says then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples. Now actually what we see here in chapter 23 verse 1 is a major shift in terms of the audience of the, what Jesus is talking to as we've been following over the last few weeks. Right? So in the past week we see that uh, Jesus had been interacting and dealing with a lot of conflict. The Pharisees, the chief priests, the Sadducees, they've been coming to Jesus and they've been trying to trap Jesus, to test Jesus and to trip Jesus up. So, you know, as we saw last week, uh, they had failed to do so. Jesus had, uh, you know, corrected them, rebuked them with great wisdom and profound insight into God's word. And now it seems as if Jesus turns away from these, I guess, people who are opposed to him. And he turns to the crowd and to the disciples. And now he starts to teach them about what he sees in their religious teachers. So he says to them in verse 2, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must do, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. Now for these religious teachers and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they claimed authority and they had great authority in the ancient world, but the number one authority that they claimed for themselves was teaching authority. They claimed to sit on the seat of Moses now who is Moses right think about it uh, Moses was the person whom God used to give God's law to the people right uh, Moses was the one who mediated God's will to the people and in fact when you read the old testament if you basically disagreed with Moses then you were disagreeing with God right you know if you oppose Moses then it was like opposing God because the people who opposed Moses God destroyed. And what was happening here was the Pharisees, in a sense, claimed to be in the line of Moses, so that they expected you to do everything and to obey everything that they commanded. Now, the problem was, in verse 3, Jesus then goes on to say, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Now, Part of the problem was, was a sense in which they were asking and expecting people to do what they were doing, but they were not actually practicing what they were actually teaching the people. They were, in a sense, hypocrites. Right? They were hypocrites. They were like this doctor that I met before, who uh, was a smoker. Right? And uh, this doctor was telling me, oh, you know, don't worry about me. You know, I'm just going out for a smoke. But actually, smoking is really bad for you, and you shouldn't be doing it, right? So that's what they were doing. But if you actually look at this passage, they were, in very specific sense, hypocrites. Because as you look in this passage, they were glorifying themselves. They were only interested in their own status-seeking. Right? Verse five: Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels of their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. So their main motivation, it seems, was glory-seeking, status-seeking. They wanted to be seen. They wanted people to recognize them. They wanted uh, the, the applause of the crowd Now, if you look up here in the slide, right, uh, next slide, these are uh, what is called the phlectories. Okay, so if uh, you look in the Old Testament, uh, the Bible actually tells you that, you know, you're supposed to keep God's Word in your heart and on your mind, right? So actually, some of the Jewish people actually take that literally, right? So what they do is they take God's Word and they put it in very small, uh, like, pieces of paper and then they put it in these little boxes which they then... Strap onto their arm or their forehead, but 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 it makes you look very very holy, right? You know, because you're walking around with God's word on your mind, right? I mean, it's not literally there, and it's not happening through osmosis, but but you know, you, you you know, when people see you walking around with God's word, like imagine me walking around like like this, right? Right? You know, it makes me look very holy, right? And then these are the tassels that. Um, that the Bible is talking about. It's like these, you know, if you go to Jerusalem today, they they wear these prayer shawls or gowns, right? So then you have these little tassels which are attached to it. And and obviously, if you wear these very long tassels, it, it makes you look very holy, right? You know, it's like if 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 you if you were to come to church and you were to wear a stole and you know a gown and and all the the things that come with it, it makes you look like very religious. And that's what exactly they were doing. They wanted to appear. Very holy, very religious, they wanted to get the best seats and to be called Rabbi and recognized as the leader, the religious leader and Jesus actually says, "Do not follow them right, because they are only interested in their own glory, in their own status uh, for themselves and I think this is a very important application uh, that we need to apply for ourselves today. Right? Because if you look at this passage, it's not just that they were hypocrites. right? The first problem of the hypocrisy that Jesus seems to keep pointing on was their self-glorification. Now, if you look at the marks of Christian leaders today, there are many Christian leaders who, if you were to be honest, seek glory for themselves. They want To be seen. They want to be seen. Um, You know, they're very popular. They have very big Facebook followings or Instagram followings or Twitter account followings. Uh, They're renowned for the size of their churches or how influential they are among politicians, maybe in the West, right? I mean, there are people who seek to have glory that way. So I was reading this book um, just this week. It's quite a well known book by a very well-known pastor called John Piper and it's called Brothers We Are Not Professionals and it's written for pastors to remind them that actually we are not professionals because in the West and increasingly even in Singapore the model for pastors and Christian ministers is not the servant mentality of Jesus Christ but the professional of the business world. And the the model that many people take now is they want to be recognized as professionals, they want to be respected as professionals, they want to be paid as professionals, right? They call themselves COEs. They call themselves as entrepreneurs. Oh sorry. Oh yeah. CEOs, CEOs, sorry, CEOs, right? C CEO. Sorry, sorry. I, I I bought my car already, so it's, it's over, <laughs> right? Okay. CEOs, right? So they call themselves CEOs. They model their their churches on business organizations, and 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 they model themselves in terms of the top business leaders of today's world, right? That's the model that they follow: the communication model, the respect model, the leadership model they follow. And he says that you know, if you follow this model, right? Then is it is it can can a person who follows that business model of leadership represent the suffering servant Jesus Christ dying on the cross? So if I go to the last picture. I go to this picture, right? So can 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 the person who is looking for glory and seeks status the way a professional CEO person is looking for? Can they represent to us the dying Jesus Christ suffering on the cross for us? And he says no. He says no. Because this person is not modeling the servant Jesus Christ who dies as a ransom for us, but rather seeking glory for themselves. So he was saying, John Piper, that when he was growing up, there was always a sign up in his house saying, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Right? Right? So the, 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 the leader, the Christian leader, must be doing things not for His glory, but for the glory of God. And when you think of the Lord's Prayer, right? it's like, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Not, not, not reverence your name, not reverence our name. So therefore, Jesus is very, very harsh and strong against these Pharisees and teachers of the law who seem to be only seeking glory for themselves, who seek status for themselves, but they are not servant-minded, they are not serving the people. And that's why he says there that they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and he put them on people's shoulder, but they themselves, they are not willing to lift a finger to move them because they are not serving the people, they are just serving themselves. And in verse 8, sorry, sorry, in verse uh, 11 to 12, sorry, verse we'll go from verse 8, So verse 8 he says, But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So the qualities of a Christian leader that Jesus says that we must follow is humility, service, and the exaltation of God. Right, right? Humility, service, and the exaltation of God. And I think it's very true, isn't it? Because if you... Don't have a leader who is humble, serving, and exalting God, then the problem is that they are not actually representing Jesus to us and they will be exploiting you, the sheep, for themselves instead of being the shepherd. So, again, like John Piper was saying, there's no such thing as a professional taking up the cross, right? There's no professional childlikeness, there's no professional meekness and humility. That is not the model of the secular CEO. So, someone uh, once remarked to me when I was in theological college that they were very impressed with our principal. And uh, and I said, oh, why was that? He said, oh, you know, because we were all leaving the lecture hall one day and uh, someone had left a discarded used tissue paper on the floor. It fell out of their pocket or something and everybody, all the students were all walking past, right? But the principal... Uh, who was lecturing us that they happened to walk past and he picked up the tissue and he went to the dustbin and threw it away. And so my, my classmate was very impressed. He said, you know what, wow, the principal actually picks up uh, garbage, right? You know, he said, wow, this principal is, 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 is quite, quite servant-minded. Because unfortunately, and, and this is very sad, and I've seen this before, is that if, if, if I as a pastor am not serving you humbly and I'm only serving myself my glory, then the temptation for me is to use the congregation and use the sheep for my glory right? and, and to abuse the sheep for my glory. So I, I, for my glory, I want a bigger church. right? So then I will then use you to, to build a bigger church for me. Uh, physically, maybe we need more finances so we build a bigger, bigger building. Numerically, so I get all of you to do a lot more evangelism and so, in a way, I will sacrifice the weaker sheep, right? So, you know, you're not so rich. So, what can you contribute to my glory in terms of giving more money? Well, you're not very important anymore, right? Or maybe you're not a very capable person. So, again, if I'm only looking for my glory, I will sacrifice you because you're not a very good evangelist, or You're not very good at inviting people to church. So, uh, maybe we'll focus on the people who can invite more people to church, right? And, uh, and I think that's, that's true, isn't it? If, if you have someone who is only interested in their glory and their, I guess, position rather than service and humility, that's, that's the way they will act. So I remember reading this book many years ago. It's a really big book, right? It's not like war, it's not like war and peace, but it's, it's a long, long book, right? I remember reading it one holiday and it's about, it's a very good book. You can read it. I re- it's a, if you like historical, like stories. This is a fantastic book, right? And it's about this guy, this bishop, who wants to build the biggest cathedral in England. Okay? Not because, you know, his congregation is very big, but for the name. You know? And so, you know, the whole story is about how he gets all the, the, the kings and all the princes, and they all come together to build this huge cathedral because they want to have the name of having the biggest cathedral in England, and 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 that's what Jesus is saying we should not be right. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying that the leader should not be. It's not about it's not about the glory of having the biggest church building. It's about serving people humbly. It's about showing Jesus Christ to them, and that's the sort of leader that the disciples were called to be. And he says that's why no one should call you rabbi, right? No one should call you teacher, no one should call you master, no one should call you father, or no one should call you instructor. Now, um, putting aside some denominations which actually do call their pastors father, right? I think this has got a very important lesson for us as Christians. Right? Because unfortunately, some pastors actually do claim that authority that that rabbinic authority where they expect you to do everything and to obey everything that they teach you uh i think this might be more prevalent in some of the chinese congregations but i think it's also true in in some in some churches even in the english speaking denominations i remember there was this guy who was very uh I try to share the gospel with occasionally. And he, he gets very, very, very angry whenever I share the gospel of Jesus Christ with him to the point where he actually starts swearing. Right? And part of the problem is because his wife goes to this church in Singapore and always gives uh, a lot of money to the church, which he feels is his money. Right? And his refrain to me over and over again is, she never listens to me. you know. She only listens to everything the pastor Tells her. And I think that to a certain degree I understand where he's coming from, right? Where at the end of the day, people see the pastor as like God's instrument for for, for teaching you God's will in your life. But actually, Jesus says that the the, the the pastor teacher, he is not to be called the rabbi, the master, or The instructor or the teacher or the father, because when you look at this passage, only Jesus Christ is our instructor. Only God is our father. So, in a sense, only God's word has authority over us. Therefore, it doesn't matter whether your name is Martin Luther or John Calvin or Jonathan Edwards, right? You are still. A brother and sister, you know, in, in Christ, and, and, and we all sit under the authority of God's word. And if we look at God's word and we say, actually, this can be one way of reading it, which is logical, reasonable, and faithful, then we should be saying, yeah, okay, fine. You know, maybe John Calvin might be wrong, right? Maybe Don Carson might be wrong. It's not as if everything they say is inerrant and completely without fault. So, I think that it's very important for you to understand that because if we go on a Bible study, right, and if you go to my Bible study, you, you do notice that people do disagree with me, right? And, and you know, the, the temptation is for me to get irritated, right? Hey, I'm the pastor, no? I read all these commentaries and you're disagreeing with me, right? But, but the reality is, I, I still can learn from the Bible from you, right? Because when you look at the Bible and, and, you, and you see it this way, and maybe I have not read it and understood it the same way. And I think that it's, it's wrong for us to feel that somebody has this position. Therefore, because they have this office, right, that means everything they say must always be perfect. Because at the end of the day, all they're trying to do is to explain God's word to us. And it's God's word that has authority over us in the end. And I think uh, there was once, uh, I'll tell you this funny story, right? where there was this uh, MTS guy that I knew, who was leading Bible study. And he was telling me how he was leading this group of Bible study, and they were all slightly a bit older than him last. So he was trying to get his point across, but he couldn't somehow persuade them of his position, right? So he he got very frustrated, so he started banging his head on the table, right? (laughs) So I was telling him, I said, actually, it doesn't matter, right? Because at the end of the day, right, it is God's word that is, a, is the authority. It's not that you have to, you know, get your position and win people over all the time, right? It is, it is, it is actually God's word that is actually the, the one that has authority over us. And that's why we have Bible study, right? Not what the pastor says study, right? Okay, so the passage then goes on in verse 13 to uh, verse 31. Okay? Now, this is a really long passage which was read to us by Yodi. And if you look up here on the slide, I want you to notice something. Okay, so if you look at the slide and you look at the text, you'll notice actually there is uh, what is technically called a chiastic structure. But we don't want to use that, so we, we, we use the word hamburger structure, right? Okay, so we use the word hamburger structure. Anyway, but basically, you'll notice that He criticizes them for being hypocrites, particularly, specifically, in the beginning and the end. And in the middle part, he criticizes them for being blind guides. Now, if you look at your text, you'll see that's the case. Okay, you can come and talk to me later, but that's what the context, and that's what the content of what he's saying and criticizing them about. Now, if you look at Jewish literature, generally, the middle part of the Hamburger chistic structure is the main point of what the the, the the writer is trying to convey to you. It is like the most central point, right? So if we were to focus on the, the most central point, you'll see is in verse 23, right? So what is the main criticism that Jesus has about the teachers of the law and their teaching? So let's look at verse 23 and 24, right? Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You've practiced the latter without, ne- without neglecting. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out the net and swallow a camel. So here what Jesus is, is saying is that they focus a lot on the unimportant and they neglect the weightier that, that literally that what the word says more important is like the weightier parts of the law so they major on the minor and they minor on the major right? and what they do is they're so they're so focused on the external that you know they'll go to their garden if you have a garden and every tenth fruit right they will pluck And make sure they give to God because they want to keep the external law. But for the more weighty things like the heart, the inside, right? Justice, mercy, faithfulness, they are neglecting. They don't even focus. They don't even look at these things, right? And that's why Jesus calls them blind guides. Now, in chapter 15, in the next slide, Jesus calls them blind guides for the very same reason, right? Then some Pharisees and teachers of law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand, what goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that's what makes him unclean. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them, they are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. So then Jesus goes on to say, right, you know, explain the parable to us, and Jesus says, you know, the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and that's what makes a person unclean. Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. And so. What Jesus is saying here in verse 23 24 in chapter 23 is exactly the same, right? The teachers of the law, Pharisees, they're obsessed with the externals, how you wash your hands, right? The Jews even had a policy of how many times you have, how much water you have to use, right? How, how thoroughly you have to wash your hands, right? What sort of food you can eat, and things like that. But when it came to the internal, they were neglecting it. And that's why. These people who were so obsessed about the externals of the law could plot to kill Jesus on the inside. It's the same thing in verse 25 and 26 because Jesus says you clean the outside of the cup and the dish but inside you are full of greed and self indulgent, blind Pharisees. right? Now, the Pharisees were very obsessed with Sabbath keeping, food laws, cleanliness rules, washing hands, tithing. But they neglected the inside. They were bad teachers, so don't follow them. But the biggest mistake was, by focusing on the outside and majoring on the minor, which is on the outside, it actually caused them to miss Jesus Christ himself, the Messiah. So we did this, chapter 12, for our responsive reading, right? It was because of the Sabbath rules right, that the Pharisees wanted to plot to kill Jesus. That's, that's how blind they are to the more important things in focusing on the minor things. Can you imagine you are the religious teacher? Right? If there was one thing that you should have done, it was to re- see the Savior Jesus Christ come into the world. But instead your focus was on how far you can walk, whether you can actually roll grain on your hands and eat pop pop them into your mouth to eat them now, I think that as we look at this passage, Jesus then somewhat summarizes their whole attitude in verse twenty four right because in verse twenty four it says, "You strain out a gnat but swallow a camel that 's like their attitude in their teaching right so um my wife sometimes gets me to strain out, uh, like, you know, you, 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 you have fish soup, right? So you need to strain out all the bones, or, you know, you have pork soup, and then you strain out all the, like, the fatty stuff, right? So it's almost as if the the Pharisees and the teacher's law, they are the sort of teachers who are straining out the smallest net. So a net, right, is like the smallest insect in the Middle East, right? It's like You're straining out the smallest thing in terms of the external law, right? The appearance laws. But then you eat the biggest animal, which is like the camel, when it comes to sin inside your heart, in terms of murder. I mean, you're you're like, you're worried about every tenth uh, fruit for tithing, but yet you're willing to murder, right? So it's like, you're, you're straining out the net in terms of the external law, but you're willing to be murderous in your heart. And I think that's sometimes true. In, in terms of Christian leaders even today, um, I've said in denominational meetings where we have long discussions about what is the appropriate dress of pastors. you know what, what should pastors wear when they come up in churches to preach you know uh, Not that you know you shouldn't wear what is appropriate, but but the amount of time you sort of spend on it is, is quite to me, la, a long time right or like but you know, we talk about liturgy you know, in the churches. What sort of liturgy should you have? What sort of songs should people be singing? Or even the organizational structure. But when it comes to theology, in terms of what the Bible is teaching, we hardly talk about it at all. We don't talk about what churches are teaching uh, in, in the, you know, when I was in the denominational meetings so in the different churches. We don't talk about uh, what sort of practices they have in terms of their godliness. Uh, you know, it's very, very difficult to talk about these things. It's much more easy to talk about regulations about what people should wear. So I've been to churches. I've visited churches, and it seems to me that some of these churches are majoring on the minor and minoring on the major, right? So the whole sermon is about speaking in tongues or doing miracles, right? Or the whole sermon is about focusing on uh, doing some particular good work. So someone sent me a video of a sermon in a big church recently, which, all, which is all about giving money uh, to the poor, which I think is a good thing. I, I think we should be giving money to the poor, right? But but that wasn't the emphasis of the passage, right? But the, the person basically was just speaking all about that. There's some churches which focus a lot about end times and the second coming of Jesus Christ, or about just getting rich and healthy. But they are like the blind guides, right? Because that's not the... That's not the, the, the core of the Bible message. So again, I don't know, I keep quoting John Piper, right? So John Piper says that the first thing that we must be doing is preaching the Bible, which is preach justification by faith. He says, you know, you should be preaching justification by faith as the major thing that you're teaching in churches. You should be preaching sin. You should be preaching the death of Jesus' cross on the Christ. I mean, I think it's important, yeah, give money to the poor, but if you're not preaching justification by faith and you're just preaching ju- giving money to the poor, then people think that the only way to be saved is just give money to the poor, right? So in verse 37, Jesus then laments about Jerusalem itself, right? It says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stoned those sent to you. How often I've longed to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you that you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, I think here Jesus actually shows his genuine love and compassion for the people of Jerusalem. Right? He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. It's like when David heard that his son Absalom was killed in battle. You know, it's like, Absalom, Absalom. And he says, look, you know, he has come to his people, the people of Jerusalem, like a a mother, like a hen gathering her chicks, right? So, if you look at this picture, right, it's like the the hen is protecting and gathering her chicks under her wings, right? You know, it's it's a very protective, nurturing uh, attitude, right? But the sad thing is, Jesus comes to his people with the attitude of nurturing and protecting her. But his people are not willing. His people are just like the Pharisees and the teachers of the They instead of coming to the mother hen, they want to kill the mother hen. They want to kill Jesus, right? And that's why it says Jesus says that your house. Is left you desolate, right? So it's like uh, it's like a, a picture of a house where it's fall to to ruin, right? Because it's desolate because God has left the house. God's blessing has left the house of Jerusalem. And the last verse is a very tragic verse because Jesus says that He will not come again to His people until He comes again, right? Where Where people say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's when when Jesus comes again in the second coming, in judgment. So there will be no second chances for Jerusalem anymore. As we follow the arc of the story in the book of Matthew, Jesus will die at the cross. There will be no more preaching. There will be no more miracles. The the, the chance for repentance and faith in Jesus has passed for the people of Jerusalem. And therefore, it's such a tragic thing. right? And this has happened primarily because they have followed the wrong teachers. They've followed the wrong example and they've obeyed the wrong teaching. So in conclusion, I hope that as we have looked at today's passage, it's so important for us to listen to the words of Jesus as He warns His own people that to follow the wrong teaching to obey the wrong example and to follow the wrong teachers actually is tragic, right? Because they will lead you to your own destruction. They will lead you to their destruction because they are blind. They will lead you to fall into the pit. Now, when I was in a theological college, uh, there was a guy named Roy Clements. You may not have heard of him, but he's actually, you can Google him, he's written many books and at one stage he was like the leading light of the evangelical church in the West. So Don Carson said that he was the best preacher that he had ever heard, right, Roy Clements. And I remember uh, I was in theological college when we heard of his fall from ministry. I had some classmates of mine, they were very shaken. I think they had a crisis of faith, right? And when I think of Roy Clements, part of the problem was that he was apparently at the end of his ministry quite an itinerant preacher. So that means, itinerant preacher means that he doesn't really stay in one church. He moves around a lot, right? So someone once actually commented that, you know, part of the problem was being an itinerant preacher. Nobody really knows your life. Nobody can see your example. And that's one of the problems with itinerary teachers. They you know they come, they teach, and you're very impressed, but you don't really know what they are really like as a person. And that's what happened to Roy and in, in in his later ministry. He was moving around a lot, he was accountable to nobody. And then what happened was he left his wife to and his children to to have a homosexual relationship with with some other person, right? And and I think Part of the problem is when you put up someone like Roy Clemens up on a pedestal and you think, you know, we must obey everything he says and listen to everything he teaches and he is like the rabbi, father, master, instructor, teacher to us. Then when he falls, your faith also falls with it. But I think Jesus makes a very good point here that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? We are all one family. There is only one master teacher, there's only one rabbi and that's Jesus Christ and the word of God. So we should never put someone up in that sort of pedestal and put our faith and tie it with them, right? Because at the end of the day, uh, we should only be obeying and, and following everything that God's word, the Bible teaches and not a single person. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that you may teach us through your word of how the Pharisees and the teachers of law uh, were not to be obeyed in terms of their example because they lived only for their own glory and their own status. And we realize the danger for ourselves as well if we follow teachers who are only living for their glory and their status. That they cannot exhibit Christ-likeness to us. They cannot model the sacrificial suffering, ransom death of Jesus on the cross for us. And that in the end, they will only use and abuse the sheep rather than shepherd them. Dear Father, we also uh, see in today's passage how Jesus speaks about the Pharisees and how they strain out the net of external regulation and laws, but they swallow the camel in terms of their own inward godliness, cleanliness, and faithfulness. That they were so strict in following the food laws, <clears throat> but yet they ign- ignored things like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So dear Father, we pray for ourselves too, uh, that as we listen to our teachers, as we read your word, we will not major on the minor, and minor on the major, but rather major on the major, that we will always come back to your word, to justification by faith, to the ransom death of Jesus on the cross, to the payment and forgiveness of sins, to repentance of our behavior. And dear Father, we pray that in the end, uh, we will come to Jesus, who loves us uh, like a, a mother hen, sheltering and protecting her chicks. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.